You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 707 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. For this USDF episode, we will hear all about competition management from Heather Peterson, and then Natalie DeBardinis, breeding director from Hilltop Farm, will tell us all about the Hanoverian horse and the North American stallion testing. We've got a great trainer tip from Megan McIsaac. Reese Koffler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi. Well, this week I'm going to have to apologize for my speech impediment. I had uh, a crown fallout, which is my front tooth. And uh, now I have a hole, a a gap in my teeth, hopefully getting fixed pretty soon. But uh, yeah, that's where we're at with that. Everybody, I told Phil he's being very sensitive because I can't really hear it, but we want to be sensitive if you're worried about it. So thanks for telling us. But how was your week? Uh, Well, that was kind of crummy. So overall, not bad, but not not good either. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I uh, it's been so hot here in Wellington. We've been really busy, but it's hot for sure. So I get it. Get it. We've did been you uh, did you get to uh, Friday Night Lights? Yes, I went to Friday Night Lights, and it was it was a little dramatic, right? So that was the kind of after Adrian Lyle withdrew from the World Cup standings because um, Salvino uh, was injured. Uh, that did open up a, a lot of spots, right? So there were three North American League spots available. Stefan Peters had one, and then it's actually Alice Tarjan. And Anna Buffini, who are going to the World Cup, which is super fun. They're all people we've had on the podcast. And we're excited. But there was some drama because Sarah Tubman uh, and First Apple have also highly contested that spot as well. So there was a bit of drama going on. Um, Everybody had a very good ride. Um, But it was fun to be there and to kind of have that... um, Uh, kind of the Omaha feel. Uh, Phil and I aren't going to be able to go this year to the World Cup, so we'll be definitely watching it. We're going to have a watch party for sure. But um, very, very similar vibe. You had some uh, some Morgan, uh, one of the French riders. A lot of the riders that we saw that night will be going to World Cup, so it had a pretty good feeling. Uh, It was really exciting. So, yeah, it was was a lot of fun. Uh, We're coming up on the five-star, which I think is next week, actually. Uh, that's coming up. So that's always exciting to have that. So yeah, it's crazy. Season's kind of starting to wind down a little bit here. At least we feel it. You know, it's like, oh, we have three weeks left. Oh, we need to get together with these people. And, and in my case, I'm like, oh, I really need to train hard for the next three weeks. But it's been a lot of fun. Very, It has actually been a really hot season. I keep saying that, but it's been over 90 every day. But really, really fun, really, really good. And um, yeah, I've made stride with all my horses. I had lessons today with my trainer, Scott uh, Hassler. So that was super fun, just pushing through a bunch of stuff. 
So good breakthroughs. So uh, it's it's just been been a lot of fun. And and this year I have not had the pressure to show, uh, which is kind of nice. Sometimes that pressure is good, and then other times it's it's a, a lot. So yeah, that's what's been going on. All right. Well, I guess it's going to be what two two more weeks. Yeah. I fly down on a Thursday into Fort Lauderdale, and I'm I'm looking forward to hot weather. I I, I do not want to you know fly down to Florida and and for there to be a change in the weather. So just <laughs> cross your fingers for me, and uh, yeah, and, and then and then I'll see you. I love it. I love it. Well, we're looking forward to it, but we're going to get to the show. It's fantastic. We've got a break from Kentucky Performance Products, and we're coming back with Heather Peterson. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Did you know that easy keepers and horses on restricted diets are often at risk for vitamin and mineral deficiencies? Most easy keepers are maintained on hay, and some get a few handfuls of grain a day, and most of these horses get little to no green grass. Diets that don't include significant levels of green grass or recommended amounts of fortified concentrates just don't supply enough vitamins and minerals. Many horse folks don't realize that hay alone, even high quality green hay, is not an adequate source of many vitamins. For example, when grass is cut and dried for hay, the vitamins quickly lose their potency. 70% of the vitamin E found in grass is lost in the first week after it is cut for hay. One way to ensure that your special needs horse is getting all the vitamins and minerals he needs is to add a vitamin and mineral supplement to his diet. A well-balanced supplement will provide the nutrients your horse requires without adding unwanted calories, starches, and sugars. Microphase, made by Kentucky Performance Products, is a vitamin and trace mineral supplement that bridges the gap in your feeding program. With Microphase, your horse receives adequate and balanced vitamin and mineral nutrition without unwanted calories or other ingredients. The minerals in Microphase have been chelated, a process that protects minerals during digestion and increases their absorption in the intestine. Microphase provides vitamins, such as vitamin E, in a natural form, so your horse receives optimal results from this supplement. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, tonight we have found a topic, Phil, that we don't talk about very often, and, and we've never in 10 years had a show manager. So Heather Peterson, she is an FEI steward, a USDF silver medalist, a large RTD, and she is a manager of schooling shows to CDIs and some horse trials. Heather, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Looking forward to being here. It's great. Yeah, we're thrilled because... Again, we were chatting and I was, I said to Phil, I'm like, we have never, I think in 10 years had a show manager 
on a professional show manager. So we wanted you to talk to us like, what do you do? And what are some pet peeves? So we'll let you get started. All right. Well, what we do is we put it all together. I have to say, um, I think the biggest thing is just organizing the chaos, making sure that <laughs> the facility is in place and we've got stabling ready and the rings are set up and ready to go. And then obviously the background, organizing the entry, scheduling the show, putting it out, hiring the judges. Hiring it's the a, judges, it's yeah. A, um, yeah. You better be friends with your show manager. Just saying. <laughs> That's right. No, no. And it's hard. I mean, because I'll tell you, some competitors like certain judges, others like different judges. And it's trying to find a good mix of officials that people respect and provide good scores, good comments. We are constantly looking and talking to each other throughout the country and kind of evaluating the officials. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's kind yeah. of the boat that we're in. We're customer service. And if our customers don't necessarily like an official, they won't come. So we definitely, you know, it's like a restaurant. You don't provide a good steak, you're not going to have these people coming back. So we have to provide a good product, whether it's excellent footing and good stabling. But if that doesn't have a judge that gives out fair comments and fair scores for what they see, then, you know, that's a huge part of it, too. So. That would probably be one of the hardest things. You know, you talk about pet peeves, but I'll just say from the hardest standpoint is trying to find a good combination of licensed officials that works well for the needs of each show. That's super, super difficult in the show atmospheres. That would make sense because, you know, again, we don't think about that. And and I will say coming from Kentucky, um, it was not really an option to sort of judge shop in a way because we had certain yeah. shows that we could do that we could get to you know obviously yeah. here in florida you can sometimes look at the judges and change your plan i think Correct. a lot of people yep. do that depending on where you live in the country but sometimes like i mean my mom's like you're showing at the kentucky horse park whenever there's a horse show because we live 15 minutes from there <laughs> you know there was not an option well, um, and i'm in you know, colorado we have so few shows sometimes. I mean, I run shows in other parts of the country, Virginia and things too, but in Colorado, we have so few good venues and so few good showgrounds that sometimes it's who you can get who's available and everybody comes anyways because there's wait lists for the shows. But we try, especially when we're looking at the level three competitions, which are like your junior young riders, your young horse, your developing horse, your small tour, large tour qualifiers, we try and get a fair panel who's consistent. You know, you want two judges that kind of match. You don't want one that's going to be kind of Mrs. Claus and one that's going to kind of be the Grinch because it makes mm-hmm. it really um, uncomfortable for the competitors because they get such varying scores. And that that's not fair to them either. So, you know, you, you hope that we have one central standard. And I would say for the most part we do, but it still comes into play when we look at how we kind of match people up and put them at the shows. I love that. I love that. So what are some pet peeves you have as a manager? Um, Please don't check in for your test (laughs) 30 minutes before you ride and be missing all of your paperwork because that really makes life difficult (laughs) because we know you have to go warm up, but we also have liability. And so it's making sure your entry forms are signed and, that you actually have a Coggins and maybe you did vaccinate your horse within the last six months. That's a big pet peeve. 
Um, politeness in general, then. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. No, knowing yeah. what you and, need to compete and, and, and having it all kind of done. Yep. Pre-show, right? Yeah. Not just pre-show. And we're day, here. Yeah. The show secretary and the show manager are happy. I will say 99.9% of the time will help you ahead of time. Like if you don't know what you need and you drop us an email or shoot us a text, we're going to be right there to help you with it and tell you what's missing. Or, you know, if you need to go renew a membership or do your safe sport or what you need to have, we'll, we'll be there ahead of time. We'd love to help you ahead of time so that we don't have to help you when you're scrambling to put a foot in the stick. Ahead of time. That's, that's of time. great. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think another big pet peeve is politeness. And that is both to our volunteers and our staff. If you're working in like Kentucky or Colorado, for the most part, all of our people are volunteers. If you're down here, even in Wellington or in California, and perhaps they're paid staff, they still deserve respect for the jobs that they do. But we can't get people to come back, especially as volunteers, if the competitors aren't very nice to them. So I'm super big on politeness, and um, I think that that's a very big part of show etiquette. I think that's just uh, a big part of being a human being. Yes. <laughs> but it's forgotten. Yes. It's forgotten when they're nervous, and they're nervous. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. stress around uh, around competing, and and just a you know a quick reminder to the the volunteer or or you know the paid the paid staff are humans too, and they make mistakes, and it's okay, yeah. right? You're gonna survive, and um, absolutely, you know, nobody's motivated to screw up your day or or you know not give you a good experience. That's for sure. Totally. And we understand if you're snippy before you're red, but once you do your final halt down center line and you're coming out of the ring, a, a, a little quick thank you so much for being here goes a long way to cover up when you were snippy before you went down center line. <laughs> yes. Yes. We totally get 100%. it. Yeah. Or just yeah, a quick 100%. apology, like, oh, you know, I'm sorry if I was short or, you know, something like that. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, you know, easy to do. Um, and, I mean, it's also easy to be to be stressed out, and and, and but just yeah. an acknowledgement that that maybe you know that uh, that wasn't uh, that wasn't you at your best moment. Exactly. <laughs> I think Fair. that's fine. and we see that we see that all the time. Um, other major things: making sure you put your name and your phone number on your stall card. So if yes. we are checking your horses during the night, we can get hold of you if something doesn't look right. Yes. Super, that, that super is, important. Yeah. That happens all the time. It, I'm like, how do you not remember that? Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. And okay. I got another one. And I, I, I yeah, no. it is. I would love this to be well, mandatory. Ooh, night check. Let's hear it. Night check. Night Please check. pay for the mm-hmm. night check. Like, if not there's night check available. Offer it. I know, but if it's offered, will you please <laughs> pay for it? Well, because I feel badly because the night check people, are going to have to, they're going to call anyways, if there's a problem. They will. And, yep. and, you know, and then if there's not uh, a name in the card, then they've got to call the show manager and then the show manager's got to call you and wake you up and da, 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 da. And I'm sure it's the people that don't pay for the service. So, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Because yeah, if they pay for the service, if they pay for the service, the night check already knows their contact information. So you're right. It's the ones who don't pay for the service that the night check has to call and scramble to find the information for. Yeah, pet peeve. Sorry. There, there's one. Big pet peeve. <laughs> <Mine>. Dogs. <laughs> My next one is dogs. I love oh. your dogs. 
please bring your dogs to the show if they're allowed, but don't leave them in your car. Try not to leave them in your trailer. Please don't let them run around the barns loose. It's yeah, great if they're on a leash. And truly, I'm a huge dog fan. I love dogs, but I don't see a lot of dogs in the middle of August in Kentucky that are really loving the experience of being at the horse show. It's absolutely. Hot. It's miserable. Yeah. And like, having uh, a dog running around on a leash while you're trying to toss somebody on a horse that's like four years old or five years old isn't always the safest situation either. So sometimes it's best to just maybe leave them in the air conditioning at home. I feel you. I feel you. Preach, sister. I love it. What yeah. else? What else you got? I Let's see. What else? Um, <laughs> good question. I try and be pretty lenient. I'm I'm a little bit more laid back than some. But like I always, if you're at a horse show, it's kind of polite to keep the Iowa at least clear enough that other people can open their stall doors or walk a horse down the stall aisle too, especially when we're in tent stablings that have smaller, more narrow aisleways. It is not that much more to get a tack stall so that you don't have to have everything piled up outside of your stall door. And maybe, maybe when you see the stabling charts and you didn't get a tack stall, you can talk to the people around you and offer to help pay for a corner of a tack stall so that narrow aisleways aren't blocked by all of the belongings. I love that one. I didn't think about that one, but yes, that is a huge deal. That happens a lot. Like in the CDI barns and stuff here where I know it's expensive, but man, yes. does it make a big difference if you just, like you said, split it with your neighbor or something, but you know, having things out, or, ugh, it's so hard. Find out if another friend is showing and just say, Hey, let's stable together, put it on our stabling request and share a tax stall. It's, it would make things just a lot easier for everybody involved. I love it. I love it. And Heather, don't you think right now, you know, okay, we're, we're obviously here in Florida, but a lot of people are up North and this is a great time to make sure your memberships are accurate. Memberships are current. And the biggest one is safe sport. And obviously this year, I'm not sure a lot of people know, but the non-member fee policy for us equestrian has changed. So you're now only allowed to buy one show pass, which is what they call their non-member fee per year. And that means at one show only, and otherwise you have to join. So if you had an owner that was just paying the non-member fees all year, or you have a junior young rider who was paying the non-member fees just to try a couple shows, now it's time to just have them join because they won't let you do more than one show. Even if there's two shows in one weekend, you can only do one day as a non-member oh. and then you then you have to join. Oh. Another big change is that parents can no longer sign the entry blank as trainer without being a member. All people who sign the entry blank as trainer or coach must be US equestrian members. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and yeah. safe getting, sport getting this year. Yeah. Took a while. Or I don't know, maybe it was the while. cycle I was in. The, or maybe it's I'm for in the same cycle then. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people were in the same cycle I was. And and it it be ready. Be, be block ready. out <laughs> two and Set a half. Set aside hours. an evening. Yeah. A hundred percent. I did it. And no, for those of you doing regional championships, start now. Remember the deadlines to change regions. If you're in like two, four, three, one, where all of the different regions are so close together and you sometimes shop, don't forget that 
the fees start going up July 1st. So now's a good time to kind of start looking at your competition season and seeing where you might go at the end if you want to aim for regional championships. See, I need to talk to Heather more often. I'm like, oh, I should check that out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Heather. I just made a note to myself. No, I love it. And NAYC deadline is coming in March, the first deadline for $50. And then it goes up after that to $100 and then $300, I think. Significantly. Yeah, significantly. Significantly. Hit that first one. I think it's the same for high performance as well. Hit that, hit those down. So now's the time to be looking at these things because it, they're they're coming up and you can fast. save a bit of money. Can, yeah, by, by yeah. being ultra prepared, you know, absolutely. Incentives. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and having it. your safe sport done before the night of the first horse show makes things a lot yeah. easier, a lot less stressful, especially if you're riding for an owner or a sponsor making sure that they have their safe sports done as well. Cause that think, often um, yeah, is what catches the, my riders. The mm-hmm. modules for um, owners riders have just come in last year and now it's, it's getting more serious. So up here in Canada, do your mm-hmm. safe, yeah. safe sport modules. Yes. Get them you out have of the way. It, you have it in Canada as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, See, Mike, kind of our riders always complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys were first in implementing, uh, you know, those module things and then, and then it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of floated up North the way things do anyway. So, um, yeah, get it done. Well, the manager, the head of equine Canada was the manager of the Colorado horse park when all of the space sport went implemented Meg. So we've known okay. Meg a long time. Yeah. Well, there you go. I love yeah. it. Well, Heather, Thank you so much. This was all phenomenal information. Like I said, I made some notes myself. Um, how can our <laughs> listeners find you online if they have any questions? Or I mean, you're amazing at any of these, you know, safe sport questions, et cetera. How could they find you? They can reach out by email. It probably is the best bet. Um, my email is slush, like the snowy rain mixture, not like mm-hmm. the toilet, slush at drgw.net. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Heather. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We're the Healthy Critters Crew. I'm Tigger. I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. If you're a horse lover, dog lover, cat lover, llama lover, chicken lover, parrot lover, paw and hooves and feathers lover, Healthy Critters is for you. We have fascinating guests, nutrition tips, information on various critters, and the only talking Pomeranian dog on the radio. Hello, everyone. Join us for our bi-monthly laughter-filled romps on HRN. Brought to you by Biostar US. Well, tonight we are really excited to have Natalie DiBardinis, the new president of the American Hanoverian Society, breeding director at Hilltop Farm, and we're going to talk stallion and breeding history. Natalie, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Reese. Happy to be here. Well, we loved talking to you last time, and we wanted to... You know, it, it is springtime, which is crazy, and is. people may be starting to think about stallions. So we wanted to talk a little bit about history of warm bloods and, uh, and also going into stallion testing. You were saying stuff before we get online that, you know, that I didn't even know. I'm not that big into the breeding. And so, um, yeah, so why don't you get started and talk to us a little bit about uh, kind of warm blood history and breeding, et cetera. So I'm going to turn the mic to you. <laughs> All right. Um, the history of sport horse breeding, of warm blood breeding, really centers back in Europe, of course. And it, the goal 
has shifted, you know, through through time, a lot of it was initially agricultural based. And um, I think there's a little misconception, though, it's not it wasn't that warm bloods come from draft horses, but they were horses that were working horses, part of part of the farm, part of the family life. They may have worked in the fields and then been ridden on the weekends and, um, you know, were a, a full part of the family, but it, it wasn't draft horses as we think sometimes or we hear common misconceptions on. But then through after the war years, that changed and agriculture shifted and it became more sport focused and driven. And that has certainly changed um, the warm bloods into the, the modern sport horses we, we have today. Yeah, and, and I think this is really interesting for for me. I have uh, I have the book like the Modern Warm Blood, and it has all of the bloodlines and 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 you know everything into it. But I, it was interesting to me that you know before the advent of AI, your your local area in Germany or you know or or Holland or 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 France would would have your set of stallions. And yeah. uh, that's who you would read to. That, yeah, so uh, much was set up on a regional basis, right? Yes. The your local breeding community, your your local clubs, the overall breeding direction was uh, in a lot of cases government run, and so stallions were put out to different stations in different regions where they felt they would complement the local mare base, and that gave a real structure to breeding. And when we talk about some of the old bloodlines, and we see some of the Nicks that were so proven over time, like um, Donner Hall on Pick Booba, you know, we see that time after time after time. And some of that centered around the fact that those stallions were well, at the same facility. They were, you know, local to each other. And so the breeders within that population would, of course, use the local stallions. And we got a much more di- kind of directed by the breed registry's approach to breeding than than perhaps it is today. Yeah, and a, and a real more um, diverse set of bloodlines and and stallions because of that, right? And 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 now, like you can, I was just going to say, like through AI, you you can breed your mare in America with all all kinds of like the choices is unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's true, and it's and it's changed for not only the breeders, you know, the the whole industry has become globalized. We went from very regional based, those very pockets of both horses, your breeder, trainer connections were localized. The registries were all set up as, as localized. You can find great old maps of all of the different registries, like in Germany, for instance, and they were set up based on the, and named kind of to the geographic region. So you can see like all the Holstein horses were originally in Northern Germany and Holstein. And nowadays, the registries have, as breeding has gone globalized, the registries have had to adapt in a in a very different structure as well. You know, we've seen kind of the smaller registries disappear or get merged with some of the uh, larger registries. And then we've seen connections with those kind of homeland registries all across the world. You know, here in North America, we have, of course, Hanoverian and Oldenburg and Dutch Warmbloods, that all all of those organizations have ties to their original homeland registries as well. And the, and the thing that I've noticed, sorry, is that um, 
particularly the Hanoverian, they, the way that they name them is is on the stallion side. The the, the sires all you know have have the the, the same first letter yeah, of the same name letter, and right. So and that's so gotten can, actually more complicated and less clear as we've started to. Um, utilize stallions from different breeding populations more and more. You know, it used to be very easy to look at, say, like the D line and know, okay, this is going to go back to Donner Hall. Or, um, but nowadays, when we see, for instance, um, a lot of Dutch blood being used in Germany and, and vice versa, and the Dutch have a very different naming convention, they go off of a letter for each specific year. So, for instance, now the stallion Desperado, who's um, a Dutch stallion that Emily Skolton rides, he's used in breeding populations around the world, but he's also proved Hanoverian, even though he's Dutch. But so his offspring now get named with the letter D as well. So it's it's becoming we're losing a little as the bloodlines have merged through the different registries. We're losing a little of that naming convention. It's not quite as crystal clear as it used to be, but I prefer yeah. I prefer that trend of staying with the sire's sire's letter. I think it gives us a little bit of a map, as it were, <laughs> to the pedigree. Right. Natalie, that's it's part of it, right? From from that area of Europe, it's not very mm-hmm. big, right? So yeah. that's also. I think geographically, as you start looking at moving horses, you know, between the Netherlands and Germany, it's, you know, they could be 20 minutes away from each other. Does that help with kind of genetic diversity in general with the warm blood breeding? Actually, that's the kind of advent of AI has actually, I think, hurt us in terms of genetic diversity because, um, you know, as, as you were mentioning it, it opens up stallions anywhere. You know, it is very easy within Europe to get cold semen from different countries. And, you know, of course, here in North America or down in Australia, we can utilize frozen semen from around the world. And what that has tended to do is um, allow breeders, or encourage, not encourage breeders, but it has allowed breeders to go to very strongly to kind of the popular flavor of of the month or of the year. And we're seeing more swings and more consolidation in the bloodlines instead of less. Um, Because the stud books used to have where they would station the stallions when you weren't dealing with AI, where they were stationing the stallions, they could control that a little bit more and think, okay, we're getting too much of this bloodline or we need to bring in something fresh. And they could manage that by essentially choosing where those stallions were stationed throughout the country. But now it's up to the breeder to pick anywhere in the role. You know, it's like open the catalog and pick which stallion you want. And and so we're seeing certain lines being used more heavily or certain stallions being used very heavily for a couple of years. And that is actually skewing the bloodline diversity. It's becoming a big problem in I think some of the registries are recognizing it more than others, but um, some are even starting to publish an inbreeding coefficient of where that stallion like relates to their general population to try and encourage breeders to uh, draw some focus to that and, and start to use some different lines. 
yeah, that's really interesting for sure. And, and because I, I went to Germany with, with students, I w- I actually saw this and I saw the state stud and I, you know, learned a lot about how they controlled the bloodlines and that type of thing. It was really, really fascinating, but let's transition to America now, because um, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge challenge, right? For breeders as they're looking towards stallions. Now you're probably, if you're a breeder looking now or, or have already looked uh, recently, but you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, you know, the, the stallion testing here in America and, and, and how that works, kind of the whole system. Sure. The, well, I'll skip into the stallion test in just a moment, but in terms of unique challenges, I think, in North America for our breeders, um, we can't escape the geography issue. You know, it is just such a vast country that the availability of going to see stallions, see a lot of different foals by one stallion, it gets magnified. You know, it's just, it's, it's a real challenge for our breeders. Um, and kind of along those lines. So in the stallion testing process, as you, you probably know, there's with any of the warm blood registries, Hanoverian, Oldenburg, Dutch, Holstein, or whatever, there are um, approval processes for the parents to, um, basically be entered into the breeding stud book. So, for instance, here in America, if you bred a registered Morgan horse to a registered Morgan horse, you can register the foal as a Morgan, right? But you can have a registered Hanoverian breed it to another registered Hanoverian, and it doesn't necessarily get Hanoverian papers unless both its parents have been approved for breeding. And for the stallions, the first step in that process is the licensing, which in Europe is happening. They've shifted the timeline a little. It now happens very, very late in the two-year-old year. year. Um, Some may be moving to the early in the three-year-old year year for the licensings. And that's the point where they're seeing the stallions. They're judging. They're looking at pedigrees. They are looking at confirmation, um, movement. And there has been a shift towards a much more specialized direction. You know, as we were talking, the original warm blood sport horse was a all-around, all-purpose sort of horse. And nowadays, it's very specialized into dressage or jumping or eventing breeding. Like we're seeing a little crossover online, but you've got breeders that have a very clear path and the, the licensing and processes have actually changed for each of those different stallions. So first step is licensing. And here in this country, we obviously produce way less stallions. You know, in any given year, between all of the registries, I would guess there's probably 30 stallions that get approved in the whole country. That may be a little high. You know, some of them get approved for multiple registries. But but so they do the licensing here in this country a little later. Uh, most of the registries, they have to be at least three and be seen under saddle for the first time. And then they still are focusing primarily on confirmation and movement, but they want to see a little rideability. And then the second stage for a stallion to keep their breeding license is to do a stallion test or a performance test. And this dates back to long history back in Europe where the state studs used to put on these stallion tests. And a long time ago, they used to be 300 days. And then eventually they narrowed those down to 100 days. And then they went to 70 and then 50. And the current model it has changed to discipline specific. You either select dressage or jumper. And it's three consecutive years in Germany. So the stallions have to be seen at a 
aptitude test as a three-year-old in order to breed that year. Then they have to come back as a four-year-old again for a three-day test and again as a five-year-old. And here, so we we used to run a 70-day test here in this country, but it was always a tough test to fill to find enough scallions and they had to do jumping under saddle and free jumping and cross country. And the way that test was done was on a bell curve. So you had to have at least 12 to 15 stallions to basically make the math work, to make the test run, right? And when they switched to the three-day format in Germany, so that was in 2016 that they switched to that. And we started talking about this was a much more appealing format for here in this country because it's not based on a bell curve. So you could run it on a smaller number of stallions. And the stallions come prepared by their own trainer, their own regular rider. So you don't have to have a full testing staff and people taking care of stallions and a training director that's leading it for 70 days, right? It's a, it's a much simpler test to run. And, and a farm so, with, enough, with enough stalls and space to, to make that happen. Exactly. Exactly. But it's a, it's a much, you don't need a cross-country course suddenly, you know, and, and you don't have to basically take over full control of those stallions for that time period. So um, it opened up a lot of options. So we started talking late in 2016, early 2017 of how do we get this to happen? Because at that point, we hadn't had a 70-day test for a few years. And so the only way stallions could get approved, full, their full approval at that point, was going through sport, which is a totally valid option. But for dressage horses, it's scoring in the 60s at pre-St. George. So they've at least, least got to be seven years old to be hitting that marker. So from their licensing at maybe three you're going to have a lot of years where suddenly you're not able to breed if you have to wait until you have your pre-St. George scores. So the registries actually all got together and it was um, primarily Hanoverian, the American Hanoverian office, the Hanoverian Verbond in Germany and the Oldenburg Verbond that got together and formed an LLC. And we kind of all just said, let's make this happen. And we started talking with the German FN who administers the tests in Germany on how we could replicate this format here, what differences we could do that kind of fit geography and, and the timeline for stallions. And um, it's, it's been a fantastic, fantastic endeavor. I mean, it, it just has been, we went from nine stallions our first year in 2017 to 28 stallions the last two years. And we're able to run an East Coast test, which happens here at Hilltop, and then a West Coast test that happens at Poly Ridge Farm in Solvang. And it's still long distance for a lot of stallions. We have stallions that travel from Florida to Maryland or Canada, you know, Ontario to Maryland. We've had British Columbia go down to California. Like, they're still traveling a lot of distance. We can't avoid that in this country, unfortunately. But it's far better than everybody having to go to one location, which is what used to have to happen with the 70-day. The other thing with the test is it's so it's discipline-specific. They either go the dressage route or the jumper route. And then they also have different testing based on their age. And it is limited to four, five, and six-year-olds. In Germany, they do it at four and five, but they let us do an exception here to include six since we see stallions that kind of are developed a little slower sometimes over here. Um, so stallions have to do two years of the test to complete their lifetime approval. 
That was probably okay, more than so they can be, know about sorry, stallion um, testing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. So they can be lifetime approved without uh, anyone um, seeing the foals. So I think that's a difference in, in Germany. Like they have to have a certain number of foals be uh, inspected. Is that correct? Um, so they used to, that, that's true. That used to be a rule. It is no longer a rule. And all of the registries, now the Dutch still have that in place. I think they have been one of the strongest on, you have to present at least 10 foals. They try in that first year, but there's, there's no longer that rule in terms of Germany and for, at least for the registries, I know best over there. And I think part of that has also come from bigger swings in how many mares the the average stallion gets. You know, we we all think of the very popular stallions out there, but the statistic, and this was this is actually a fairly old statistic, so I'm guessing it's even worse nowadays, was the average stallion in Germany got 16 mares and the average stallion in the US got six or less each year. So, you know, now, of course, there are stallions that are breeding hundreds of mares a year in Germany or over here. We may see a stallion breeding, you know, 50 to 100, slightly over 100. Those are pretty unusual, though, especially over here. And um, part of that's the, you know, it's just there's so many options between cooled and frozen. And uh, you guys, when you do the testing over here, you have somebody uh, from Germany coming to uh, to. uh... I guess they they give yeah. their two cents, you know, like, oh, well, so you know. The, yeah, the testing commission is set up of two judges that are approved by the FN. And um, historically, it's been judges that they're judging the German sport tests as well. And then two, what they call discipline experts, one for dressage and one for jumping. And I love that particular position because I, I look at them as sort of the conduit between the judges and the riders. And it's so throughout the uh, all of the three days, the riders are getting feedback from that discipline expert on, you know, a, it, it's not a training session, but a little, you know, at the end of their ride, it might be, okay, next time tomorrow or your next ride today, we want to see a little more of this or a, try a little bit less of that. And, you know, everybody wants to see the horses succeed and it's it's set up on a really open dialogue between everybody. So the discipline experts are sort of in the middle there. And then there are also two guest riders, one for dressage and one for jumping, that on the third day of the testing, they they ride the stallions and, and their ride really factors into the rideability score. It's not the only piece that goes into that, but um, definitely factors into the rideability score. And for the dressage stallions, uh, their test portion is the same as the young horse test we use here in this country, the four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and six-year-olds. And we've seen a very strong correlation between the stallions that have been out showing all season and what their scores are running. You can bank on that's how their scores usually run at the test. I mean, yes, every horse can have a great day and a bad day, right? But usually it's been very consistent. Wow. Natalie, this is so cool. Um, When is the testing and when can you find information about either how to go or how how it ended? Yeah, so test dates for this year have actually just been released. It's going to be October 6th through the 8th in California, and then it will be October 10th through the 12th here in Maryland. The new website, which I'm still rebuilding out some elements, we just changed it over this week, is stallionsporttest.com. 
So you can find more on the format there, the rules. Um, we're just getting the updated, for instance, jumper courses for this year that we'll be posting online, things like that. Um, but it's got some of the past test results that you can see online also. And we've seen a real growth and interest here from stallion owners that are more performance-based owners that some of the stallions that are coming actually haven't entered the breeding population yet, which is sort of a shame. There's some really lovely ones that we'd like to see breeding, but the owners are seeing the value in getting the approval status early for their stallions. And I think because they come with their own trainers, their own care people, they, there's less risk, right? And there's more of a comfort level and acceptance of it. So that's been an interesting piece of seeing how well the performance world has kind of embraced the new format because the old format was, honestly, it was terrifying. No matter how much you trusted the facility they were going to, the thought of giving up your stallion for 70 days was a horrible one. <laughs> Yeah. yeah I, no, I can't imagine. That. Oh, I, it just makes yeah. me twitch. Like, ah, uh, yeah. Like, no way. When no we way. took, when credit went, one of, one of our stallions, he went as a four-year-old and we literally went from Maryland to Chicago. He was second at the four-year-old championships that year. And then we drove on to Oklahoma and actually Hemingway was with him who won the championships. And we had to then like turn over the top two four-year-olds and say, okay, they're going to go jump and they're going to go do things. And that's just, it's, terrifying so um and they they did a great job with the horses <laughs> it wasn't anything against the facility or anything it's just right. the idea of but still letting them out of our yeah, control it's no good yeah it's no good and, and credit has it's turned out to be an incredible horse and and a cdi <laughs> grand prix horse and, and a wonderful horse but um yeah uh, ooh, that gives me literally makes me itchy uh, in nerves <laughs> <laughs> i can't even imagine but uh natalie uh, how can our listeners if they have more sport horse questions how can they touch base with you about the program or about the hand of Society, etc. Sure. Yeah. Um, so for the stallion test, easy place to go to is stallionsporttest.com. Um, those emails do come into me. We um, we at Hilltop, myself and Holly, we've been involved in the testing. We help with all basically the admin stuff. We we help run the admin stuff. It's still you know very much a volunteer based organization there. <laughs> um, but those <laughs> you do, do come a lot of that, us. girl. Yeah, you do yeah, a lot. Yeah, Thank I do, you. I do a little bit of a little bit of volunteering, but and you know, I am <laughs> totally open to people calling. We get a lot of stallion questions. You know, we we deal with stallions all the time. We've presented probably more stallions in this country than anyone else of varying ages. You know, everything from retired performance horses just starting to breed to you know three year olds just launching their career. So um, I'm always happy to chat with people on kind of the stallion route because there's. There's some different paths too. You know, you can kind of do hybrid models of one year of the sport test and one year of young horse championships and things like that. But, um, but yeah, always happy to chat with people. They can reach me through the the Hilltop contact or through the Stallion Sport Test contact. And we also have links to all of the registries on there because each registry on the Stallion Test site, because each registry has slight variances on on what bloodlines they're eligible for, um, what requirements they may have for stallions to do prior to a licensing versus after a licensing, like can they do x-rays after instead of before, um, how many years of the sport test they do, the majority of the registries require two, but um, there is one or two registries that will only require one year, um, the ponies only have to do one year, so, so there are some variations in there too. Yeah, and then in terms of Hanoverian and Oldenburg, 
Um, it, you know, the Hanoverian office is luckily fully staffed with three great full-time people that are always available, but I'm of course reachable through any of the above options <laughs> and happy to talk to. <laughs> well, Natalie, thank you so much. This was so cool. It's just fun to learn the history and it's just a fascinating, fascinating discussion. Well, so thank you're you so welcome. much for well, I am tonight. all for encouraging breeding and we can do a whole other one on breeding mares and, and emphasizing more sport mares. And there's tons of ways to go, but um, it's something we really need to keep growing in this country. So thank you for, for helping with that. Well, for this week's trainer tip, we have Megan McIsaac, FEI rider and trainer. Megan, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Well, we always love when you stop by. We laugh so much. We finally have to like get it on the tape. So we're like, we got to get going. I know. We love it. Stop, you... stop talking nonsense and let's get something that's, uh, <laughs> that's recordable. But you're in California training with your mentor, Kathleen Rain. And uh, what we asked you, we're like, Megan, what, give us a tip that you've been working on. So I'm going to hand it, hand the mic to you. All right. Um, my tip for the day is keep it short and sweet, get in to get out. So, um, I get pretty exuberant with the flying lead changes and especially the ones. And so, um, the tip is, you know, we usually start with a line of threes, then we start with a line of twos, and then we go to the ones. And right now, because I'm new to this horse um, and just kind of getting his feel. We do six ones. I nail the ones, we're done. So when you're first starting out with a new horse, or even if you know a horse for a long time, get in to get out. That's my trainer tip. I love it. But that's so true. Like, for example, that was kind of my, I, I did a lot of that today. Cause it's quite hot in Wellington right now. I mean, it's hot. It was, it was mm-hmm. in the nineties and not a lot of breeze. Oh. It was really hot. Yeah, it was hot. And you know, I think on days like that as well, like if the horses are good, they get to come back. You know, I, you come out of the gate yeah. and you think, okay, what is my goal for this horse? Right. And for example, I was riding one of the owners is on vacation. So I had four of our horses. So each horse, I had a very specific plan on what I wanted to work on. Right. And if I got mm-hmm. that right away, one horse I was working um, on self carriage, right? He came out, we had 20 yeah. minutes and he was great. Broke a sweat. I was sweating. We were all sweating. And he went back. <laughs> he was great. There was, I mean, there was nothing more I could ask the horse to do. He did what I wanted. And I think specifically on changes, and I'm saying this uh, not for a friend this week, I got some ones. I was so excited. I went back, Yay. did another line. Yeah, but I did another line. And you know, we made some mistakes and I was like, if I had only left it, like it would have, it totally would have been a better ride Great experience. And, yeah. Yeah. The, better experience for the horse as well. And you know, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the thing is, is that oh. like, don't practice it until, until you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So that, that's, a yeah. bit, that's a little bit what, what, uh, you were tempting fate or you were excited or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I've been there too, but you know, you, you cause yourself problems and you cause anxiety in the horse. If, you know, he does, does the first time you attempt it, it's great. Put the horse away, pat yourself, pat the horse Mm -hmm. and, and, and just, you know, because there, 
there's a lot, there's many days, you know, we, we get into trouble as horse trainers because we know that, you know, we're ambitious and, you know, we want to get it and we want to make sure that no, no matter (laughs) when I ask, I can, you know, I can put the horse down, I can pick the horse up, but, uh, you know, when you're working on stuff, I, I, you know, I try, I try to hold, hold myself to this rule, like, and especially now in the winter, it's like, well, you know, what is the point? We're going to, we're going to ride tomorrow. It'll be the same and, you know, whatever. So I think, yeah, don't work yourself. I mean, you know, we're not sweating up here, but don't work yourself into a sweat and the horse into a, into <laughs> a anxi- anxiety riddled mess because you wanted two lines of, of ones, you know, set, set your, set your yeah. bar high, but, 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 you know, don't get crazy about it. Right. Mm-mm. Yeah. Don't get greedy. Totally. Be okay with, be okay with, okay. I came out to work on this or one flying change each way. Right. You come out and you get one flying change. Sometimes leave it alone do something else or go on a hack or pet the horse and, and call it a day. So I love it. I yep. think, I think there's some level of maturity and we're all saying we have not had that level of maturity. Um, but there is some <laughs> level of saying, yeah, okay, I can lead this horse today. He was really good. And, and I think that's important mm-hmm. and, um, I love it. And, uh, Megan, thank you so much. How can our listeners find you online for more tips? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, look up Megan McIsaac or Lindenhoff. You can check out my new website at lindenhoff.com and it's spelled L I N. D-I-N-H-O-S, or feel free to give me a call or text me, 608-445-8531. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoy it. We always love when you come on, Megan. Have a great night. You too. Well, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. Keep them coming. We also still have a book club book going, Arena Tracks by Christian Bayer. Don't forget, we're going to be wrapping that up pretty soon. That has some really good movements. Uh, if you're kind of getting bored of being in the ring at the end of winter, uh, these are some great movements and, and, and exercises that you can do. Pull out some and, trot poles, you know? Yes, pull out some trot poles. Do it. <laughs> We're doing that in Florida too. So you pull out some trap balls. It'll be super fun. Well, as always, the United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is probably through Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show. That's Kentucky Performance Products. If you'd like to support our show and the Horse Radio Network, you can do that through the auditor program found at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will chat with you next week. 